Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 023. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, go to timeout. It's a quote used far more among parents than any one of them would want to admit. Usually ends up coming out of a not fun situation, and it's rarely a pleasure for any party involved. What if God used the same line on us? How would we respond? If we correct our understanding of just one word, it can be a game changer for everybody. This episode would be especially helpful for parents and teachers, so let's find out how to make it work. Well, have you ever loved somebody, especially a child? It's not by mistake that I ask that question on a day that we celebrate raising children. Have you ever loved a child to the point where you just wanted the absolute best for them? To where you would desire more than anything to help them to grow, to help them to learn well, to develop well to the point where if you could have even a tenth of the kind of things said about PJ that Sydney was saying, you'd be like, yeah, that's my child, that's my grandchild. Have you ever loved a child to the point where it just hurts in the deepest part of your gut when they do something foolish? Kids are an a la carte deal. The heartaches come with those heart melter moments. You know the kind of things I'm, I'm talking about. And that happens whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're just a friend. And one of the first lessons that I learned when I went into youth ministry, for anybody who ever goes into it, invest in Tylenol. <laughs> because 98% of youth ministry will be wondering, why am I doing this? Maybe you've even experienced it as a parent. And there's a 2% that comes with the package that says, this is why I'm doing it. If you get any part of that, connect with any question that I just asked, you're going to get God's perspective in this story, in this life. Because this church that we're looking at today is different than the others, where previously we've been looking at, if you can track with the Christian perspective, you're going to get something out of the letter. Today, the goal is to track what God is doing, where God's coming from, what God is doing, and how he interacts with the church. If you can get that, the rest will fall into place. And that may just be that spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. Let's pray together. God, help us to learn from what you write to your church. Help us to be on fire for you. Amen. How many of you have ever had to use one of these? <laughs> the timeout chair. An icon in the parenting world. Side by side with their close cousins, the top stair and the corner. That's chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the manual of parenting that does not exist. Thank you for reminding me of that, Mr. Stryker. (laughs) He always does. Right or wrong, we often use this as a form of punishment. A form of discipline, to use another word. When we just had it and the child does something that frustrates us to no end, go to timeout! Go sit in the corner. Get away from each other. 
I've never had to say that before. <laughs> but the person who usually has to just spit out that phrase, be the disciplinarian, that is often tied or synonymous in everybody's mind with being the bad guy. And how many parents of spirited children have said, I hate being the bad guy. I hate being the one who sends my kids to time out all the time. Well, the church that we're going to look at today, man, they needed a, a stint in the timeout chair. And God gave them. So let's break in Revelation 3. See, what is going on from God's perspective? Starting off with verse 14. And the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Therefore I counsel you to buy gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you, and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear to listen to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the churches that we have been going over these last couple of weeks, Laodicea probably has it the roughest of all, even harder than Sardis, because there is zero encouragement in this letter. It's all, we need to talk, we need to talk, we need to talk. I have this against you. Now as a metropolis, as a city, Laodicea was, was pretty solid, as were many of the other cities that we've talked about, the churches that we've talked about. They had something that, in a secular sense, made them a hopping place to be. Laodicea, they happened to be a banking City. They were kind of right on the eastern edge of Asia Minor and the, and the Roman Empire. And so as travelers would travel from one to the other, they would exchange their money in Laodicea. So think of it as a citywide currency exchange. And it was a good business. Made a lot of money. Gave them something to be proud of. Because they thought, hey, we are able to sustain ourselves. On top of it, they had these sheep that produced this black, almost denim, jean-like material that they would use for clothes. Consider it like first century jeans. Couldn't get it in very many places, and so it was a good business for them to be in textiles. And so they had a lot of profit, something they could be proud of. So we are self-sustaining in this sense. We can take care of ourselves. They also had a medical school. In one way or another, they had come up with a cure for these common eye irritants or eye ailments that people would have. And so people would come from all around to try to be healed. And Laodicea had this booming medical field. 
They said, yeah, this is good. We've got it all together. We're proud of this. We can sustain ourselves. But the very things that they did well are the very things that made them fall. Because of all these things that they had together and doing well as a secular city, they thought they could handle anything. We don't need anybody's help. We don't need Rome's help. We don't need God's help. In fact, there was about 61 AD, there was a massive earthquake that took out Laodicea and Philadelphia, the church that we'll study in a couple of weeks. And the cities were destroyed. And Rome, being the capital of the Roman Empire, they came in and they offered help. They said, we will help you to rebuild your cities, put life back together. Philadelphia humbly accepted their help and rebuilt their city. Laodicea said, we don't do charity. We don't need your help. We'll do it on our own. And so they shunned off the help that Rome was off. In the same way, they say to God, we don't need you. We can do it on our own. We're fine. Their self-sustaining, proud attitude leads them to the one thing that is the most famous critique that any of the churches face. It's built off the one thing that they did not have good. Their water supply. Now there were two cities, Hierapolis and Colossae, on either end of Laodicea. And Hierapolis, up in the north, had these hot springs. I mean, you'd go into their water, and it was like you know, going in a sauna or a hot tub. Very good for a person. Very relaxed. Down in the south, in Colossae, they had these freshwater springs that were just nice, cool, crisp water. I mean, imagine taking a, a drink on a hot day of cold ice water. It's, it's like the best thing in the world. Laodicea in the middle, they had a weak water supply at best. So what they had to do was they'd pipe water in from both directions, from both towns, through miles of these stone pipes. Now you take hot water and you put it through six miles of stone pipe, it's going to cool down. Start picking up rocks in it. Take cool water, pump it up through about the same amount of stone pipe, gonna warm up, start collecting sediment, sediment. So by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's this lukewarm, vomit inducing water. How does God respond to their, we got it all together, we don't need you, go back to your heaven and leave us be? I will spit you, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It says in verse 16. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For a long time, I had thought, I looked at that verse, that idea, and I thought, lukewarm, that must mean somebody who's just kind of apathetic about their faith, about their Christianity. They just kind of, eh, whatever, God. And there's certainly something to that. You know, I'm not going to advertise, hey, let's just blow all our passion and kind of go through the motions. But then I had to ask myself, as I was studying specifically for this message, and say, well, if that's the case, why would Jesus say, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm? And look at it in kind of the context of the whole message of, of what Jesus is saying to the church. And somebody kind of put into words was starting to become a, a more fitting definition for lukewarm. That a lukewarm church is one who has lost its dependence on God. 
rather necessarily than their passion for God. And God says, because you think you can get along without me? I'm just going to vomit you out. Now, I'm not going to go into that too much more or elaborate on that much more out of respect for Fellowship Hour coming up. But this is a hard lesson for successful people to hear. And Laodicea was filled with some successful people. They thought their banking industry was going to carry them through. God said, you're poor. You're spiritually bankrupt, guys. They thought their clothing industry was so strong, it was, you know, they were going to be able to ride on the coattails or the shirt tails of that industry into, you know, the legacy of cities back in the time. Jesus says, you're naked. They thought they were the ones, as medical professionals, that were helping other people see and increase their vision. God says, you're blind. You can't see what your situation is like. Now, all of this beat down and you're doing everything wrong and all that. Is there any hope, anything to hang on to? But look at the, the way that I titled this message. We covered God, we covered time out here. It, what about the love? Well, God disciplines these children. He's, he calls them to repent. And that very D word is where it starts to come in. Yeah, okay, fine, Pastor Brian, you said discipline. What about the love? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you very much. Let's hang on that word, discipline, for just a minute, okay? Now, there's another word that you may know from the New Testament that I'm going to expound on a little bit. Jesus had 12 of these guys. Came from a couple fishermen, uh, there was a tax guy, a doctor. We called him Jesus. Disciples, all right. So, since we're talking about Sunday school, we've got discipline hanging up from Cindy's stand. Think of them as Jesus' students. Jesus is their teacher. They're his disciples. Jesus disciples these 12 guys. Jesus disciplines these 12 guys. The discipline means to teach. Very same word, disciple discipline. And when we think of it in that context, it's a game changer. It, it totally reframes the idea of discipline in any kind of context. Now, think about it this way. Parents, grandparents. I started to say how, at the start, how it can break our hearts and hit us in the deepest part of our gut if our child or grandchild does something foolish, right? Well, let's say your child cops an attitude with you Trips the pastor as he's going down the aisle after worship. Please don't give him a high five for doing that. <laughs> do we teach them through it? Teach them the good versus the bad? Or do we just kind of go, eh, whatever. If we love our child, the child, whether it's ours or not, we teach them. We discipline them. Because it's better for them to learn the consequences of foolish acts from somebody who cares than learning it later on in life from somebody who doesn't care about them. We all know that eventually they run into people who will discipline them, punish them, not even care one bit about it. A Christian is God's child as these Christians, and they are Christians in Laodicea. This is a church. If they are basically copying an attitude with God saying, we don't need you, we got it covered because we got good banks, 
We got black sheep, literally. We got the medical school. We got a cover, God, we don't need you. What is a loving God to do? He disciplines. He gives them the call to repent, to turn around, to take the blinders off of their eyes and see what it is their condition is like. So what do we do with this? Well, I'm going to give our next steps in kind of two different groups here. First off, to everyone. If you are ever facing what can be argued as the consequences for sin, you've sinned and, and now you're paying the piper. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we know. And there's no hiding it. Yeah, I'm facing this difficulty because I did something foolish over here. If we're ever in that situation, own up to it. Face up to it. Confess it to God. Keep a short account. Say, all right, God, here's apparently the lesson I'm supposed to learn from it. Let's just learn it and, and move on. Remember, Laodicea faces the critique and the criticism and all that harshness more because of their attitude than because of their actions. They thought they had it all together. That's an attitude issue. And when we have those short accounts, then we can move on and grow and learn from those times when we face discipline, teaching. We can learn from those so our relationship with God grows. Now, so I was going to give us some two parts. For those of you who are parents or grandparents, work with kids, whatever kind of context that may be, this is more a little more specific to you. Anytime you've got to discipline a child, and I think I had to do this about three run this next step through my head about three times before I even left the door to get to church today. So I'm, trust me, I'm working on this myself. But when you got to discipline a child, ask yourself, what am I trying to teach this child in doing this? Because go to timeout just because we're frustrated feels good in the short term and it's just kind of this expulsion of frustration. And I get it. Believe me. <laughs> but what does it teach? And if we think through what are we trying to teach, it reframes the whole thing. It changes the game for everybody involved. It changes how we approach the child. It hopefully helps the child kind of get something out of it. So what would it look like if we did this in our lives? What if just that one line, what if we tweaked how we understood that word discipline. If we tweaked it and just understood that idea of to discipline is to teach, that if we approached our children that way, they'd only have to learn a lesson once. I know, pie in the sky idea. Keep dreaming, Brian. If we saw discipline as to teach, we would only have to learn a lesson once. I know, find this guy, you keep dreaming, Brian. But we'd be able to spend less time having our relationship with God hindered by sin and by its consequence, and more time being able to spend our time experiencing that love that comes out of our relationship with Jesus. Because we see, even in those times when we mess up, when we pay the piper for it, Jesus isn't punishing, Jesus is teaching. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark.
If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. On next week's episode, imagine a child on Christmas morning in the middle of a Norman Rockwell painting. Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of enthusiasm about everything in life? What happens that we often lose it after a while? I'd say life happens, but sometimes, by looking back for a little bit, you can crank up the passion for the future. How does that work? Find out next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast. Podcast.